G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. He's going to respond to her in a way that he doesn't anyone else anywhere in the New Testament. In fact, this does not seem to be like Jesus. Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. I'm Bill. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. In this message, Pastor Jeff is looking at the story of the Canaanite woman found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Jesus acts in a strange way in this passage. It's very unlike the Jesus we expect. And as we get into the passage, hopefully it inspires us to move deeper into our faith in Jesus and move closer to God. Let's get into the message now on Today with Jeff Vines. We're going to start a new series this weekend called Move. Now, let me set it up like this. You know, I have two children. I have a son, Delaney, who's in his late 20s, and I have a daughter, Sion, and she's also in her late 20s, very closely connected there. My son Delaney, if I were going to describe him to you, I would describe him as someone who thinks things out very well. He, he, uh, he comes up with a plan before he does anything. He's, he sorts out in his mind how he's going to go about this, how he's going to achieve it, what things need to occur, what needs to be getting rid of, what needs to be added, whatever, before he engages in any kind of activity. The problem with my son is that sometimes it takes him a while to actually move. All right, he's got it all figured out. He's got it all planned out, but sometimes it takes him a while just to, okay, now that you've planned it out, you actually got to go and do it. My daughter's the opposite. Very little planning, flies by the seat of her pants. She decides, I'm going to go live in Kazakhstan, and suddenly gets on a plane and goes and lives in Kazakhstan. Two very different children, two very different approaches to life. One plans everything out strategically, and then the other just goes and does it and tries to make it up along the way. Now, I've often wondered what would it have been like if we had a third child, you know, a Selene or a Dion, (laughs) you know, maybe that third child would have planned everything out and moved rather quickly. There'd be no procrastination and they would be high impact, high result people. Well, all of us have those idiosyncrasies and we have shortcomings in every area of our life. We just do our personalities drive us. But when we come to be a Christ follower, it is important that we understand that this information that we receive through our daily Bible readings, through the revelation God gives to us, through the experiences of our lives, they're designed in such a way by God that we would be encouraged to move and be a catalytic force in our communities and in our world. So it doesn't do much good if we learn all this information, but we never really put it into practice. It never really changes us. It never transforms us. 
Now, along those lines, I wanna take you into five major territories, five major aspects of the Christian life that you've got the information already. Now you've gotta move. You know, here at One and All Church, we've had over 12 years of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversions. There have been hundreds of people, if not thousands, who are far from God, come near to God. We've had large baptismal services where people have said, I'm dying to my old way, being resurrected to my new. And so here we are now. And you know, there are some areas that we've got to move on. We've been drinking the milk long enough. It's time for us to get the meat of the word and to get it into our lives. To do that, I wanna take you to a familiar passage. It is a passage that God spoke to me through eight years ago to give me that vision that we now operate. It is our foundational principle. It is the foundation upon which we do everything in our church. It is the vision that God gave us. It's a story, a narrative in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Let me read it for you. Here's verse 21. We get into the story. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. These are two uh, Syrophoenician cities on the Mediterranean coast. And it is the place you go for rest and relaxation. It's where you put the sunglasses on and the baseball cap so that you won't be identified and you go away for a little holiday, a little bit of a vacation. So Jesus and the disciples go up into the region of Tyre and Sidon, these northern Mediterranean cities. In verse 22, we're told, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. Now look at verse 22 quickly. And I hope you have your Bible. I hope you're getting serious about bringing your Bible to church and going through these texts so that they can really impact your life. So the woman comes to Jesus and the disciples, they're together. She's a Canaanite woman. The writer tells us this. That's important to know because in the minds of the disciples, this woman is at the very bottom of the spiritual barrel. There's no, there's no person or people group who are farther from God than the Canaanites because they've sold out. They're considered to be half-breeds. There's a lot of racism and racist language circulating around Galilee and around Israel about the Canaanites. So this woman who is not in a good light concerning the disciples, comes to Jesus. And the Bible says she goes right to the master. She recognizes him and she says, oh Lord, this is the word curios, master, teacher. And then she says, son of David. Now, there's no way she's gonna call him son of David unless she truly believes he's the Messiah. Now, here's a Canaanite woman. She's not even part of the, the, the Jewish community waiting on the Messiah. And yet, she knows enough about Jesus and his reputation, about his miraculous workings and doings, that she believes with all of her heart, this is the son of David. He has come to the line of David. This is obviously the Messiah. So she says to Jesus, my daughter is severely demon-possessed, is the word the translators use. Uh, this is a word really that describes epilepsy. Here's a young girl who's probably having epileptic seizures, and her mother sees her go into this trance-like state. It's scaring her. She describes it as demon possession. It could be, but we're not real sure about this Greek phrase. Whatever's happening, this daughter of this woman, and obviously this mother loves her daughter so much, she's concerned, and it's a great possibility without medication that she's afraid her daughter's going to die. So she comes to Jesus. Now quickly, right from the get-go, we learn that in Jesus' time, the disciples had placed certain people in certain categories and believed that they were not worth talking to, that they were not worth trying to bring 
far from God, near to God, that they were so far from God that you were wasting your time even into inter-conversations with them. I wanna make sure that we understand how that would apply today. This is how a, a Democrat would look at a Republican or a Republican, a Democrat, or Trump at Pelosi, or Pelosi at Trump, or a non-religious person to a religious person, or any other entity that you can think of in our modern day world that's so divided, how we give up, how we shame, how we cancel each other out. Well, the disciples had shamed and canceled out the Canaanites. She comes to Jesus with a great need. Verse 23 says, when she tells Jesus of her great need, that Jesus answers her not a word. It's verse 23. In other words, Jesus ignores her. Now, I gotta tell you that we've been, scholars have been looking at this passage for years and years. It's very difficult because Jesus is gonna respond to her three separate ways. He's gonna respond to her in a way that he doesn't respond to anyone else anywhere in the New Testament. In fact, scholars struggled with this text for a long time. This does not seem to be like Jesus. This woman has a great need. She's terrified. She acknowledges Jesus as, as Lord Kyrios, son of David, Messiah, and yet he turns his back to her. And then the disciples, to show you how unloving they are and how they don't get this, they go to Jesus, and the Bible says they said to him, send her away, for she cries out after us. Now, first of all, she's not crying out after us. She's not interested in the disciples. It's a bit grandiose on their part. She's crying out for him. And Jesus doesn't respond to her. It's almost like Jesus says to the disciples, good call, guys. I don't really have any time for any Gentile female riffraff. Just send her away. And yet he doesn't. Now, what's interesting here is you have to wonder if the disciples have learned anything at all from the teachings of Jesus. Because over in Matthew chapter five, Jesus had already told them, if you love only the people who love you, what reward do you have? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, the people who are like you, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. I assume that being perfect means that you are kind and you reach out to all people as God reaches out to all people, and as we've said in the past, causes his reign and his son to rain down and to shine on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Then we come to verse 24, and Jesus gives her a second response. Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So first, Jesus ignores her, and second, do you know what he does? He says, I wasn't sent for her kind. That sounds pretty racist, doesn't it? I wasn't sent for her kind. Now, if you're the disciples, you would think that one of them at least would say, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? You just healed a Roman centurion's son, a Roman centurion. They're not our kind. In fact, they rule Israel with an iron fist. And you said that there'd be many who would come from the east and the west at the great banquet table of God. So what do you mean you, you weren't sent for her kind? And what about the Samaritan woman that you spent like hours talking at the, at the well about her marriages? I mean, that's, that's uncouth. You don't do that in our society. What do you mean you only came for a certain kind? But no disciple speaks up. Then we come to verse 25. Then she came and worshiped him. Now, I'm surprised she still stayed around. I'm surprised she's not bolted already after being ignored and then said, I didn't come for your kind. But the Bible says that she proskuneos. That's a, a Greek word that means to bow down and kiss the feet of Jesus. And she says once again, Lord, help me. In verse 26, but he answered and said, this is Jesus' third response to her. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. 
So Jesus goes from ignoring her to saying, I wasn't sent for her kind to calling her a dog or comparing her to a dog, which is the absolute worst insult you could ever give someone in Jesus' day. It, it was to, as if to say that you're no better than a scavenger dog. You don't really have a home. You don't have any parents. Those racist Canaanites. Now in verse 27, she's an incredible woman because she's not deterred. And you wonder why. Why does she not bolt after Jesus ignores her, says, I wasn't sent for your kind, and then refers to her, compares her to a dog. And yet the Bible says in verse 27, she said, yeah, Lord, I hear what you're saying. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus looks at her and answered in verse 28, oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Now, let's talk just for a moment. What's happening here? And what on earth are we supposed to learn? Let's deal with those two questions. What's happening here? How can I understand Jesus' response to this woman who's clearly in a lot of pain and suffering? And two, what am I supposed to learn from it? Number one, what's happening? There is a teaching method commonly used by the Jewish rabbis in the first century. It's best referred to as deliberately induced frustration. And when a teacher is trying to communicate something to his followers, and they're not getting it, it's like they need remedial help, it's not getting through to them, rather than just dispense information, what they will do is create tension in a situation, see how they respond in hopes that they will learn the proper response to a given situation. You and I know that we learn best under moments of tension, not just when someone recites to us what it is we're supposed to experience or believe. For me, some of the deepest theological truths were learned when I had great difficulty harmonizing truths that I found in Scripture. For instance, how could I harmonize a loving, merciful God with the pain and suffering and the evil that I see in this universe? When I was confronted with that question, that causes you to go into a shell and to do deep contemplation and research until you can come to terms with this seeming tension. I remember, and I've used this example before, when I was in Zimbabwe, I was traveling down to Mishavingo, and we were in a drought. And as I got out into the rural areas, the bush roads, you would see little children with swollen bellies because of hunger. I was 22, 23 years old at the time, and I remember pulling over to the side of the road, and I was struggling with God. God, where are you? How can you be a good God of love, care, and mercy? Look at these kids, they have no food. And you know, that started something in me to try to harmonize what I was seeing in the real world with what I'd been told about God. And that's where I discovered, I actually started doing a lot of research about growing seasons in Zimbabwe and crops and food. And I learned that Zimbabwe has enough food in the country to feed the country 10 times over. But the evil Mugabe regime would take the corn and the maize and whatever they grew in the country and sell it outside the country for foreign exchange. And he would pad his Swiss bank account while his people starved to death. So it's like God said to me, I have provided more than enough to feed this world. It is the corruption of man, the sin of man. And so we learn truths, deep theological truths, when we are forced into situations of great tension. Another good example is when I tried to harmonize or, or tried to figure out how it is that we Christ followers could actually believe the Bible is the word of God. You know, I, I remember talking to God when I was younger and I'd say, God, you could make this a lot easier. When anybody opens a Bible, how about an angel popping out? 
you know, and saying, this is the word of the Lord. Wouldn't that be cool if every time you open a Bible that an angel would just pop out and say, this is the word of the Lord. And then I started doing research on how we could know and how we could trust the Bible to be the accurate reflection of not only what was originally written, but what actually took place in history. Now, that's another sermon, and I've done those sermons. But for now, the point is, great teachers don't just dispense information. They create situations that force those who do not yet understand what they're trying to teach to come to terms with what they're trying to teach on their own, so that it goes deep into your spiritual constitution and it becomes a way of life. Now, what's Jesus doing here? The disciples don't get it. They don't get that God's heart is for all people. See, they've classified people. These are very bad spiritual people. These are medium and these are good. And only the good ones deserve to hear the good news Jesus comes to bring. How many times did Jesus say, I did not come to save the righteous, but the unrighteous. I did not come to heal the well, but I came to make well the sick. Over and over, Jesus tries to give them parables, but they're just not getting it. And now he creates for them a situation in hopes that one of them will cry out. You know, I can see it happening like this. Jesus is there. The woman comes to him. He has compassion, but he says, okay, this is a great time to test the disciples to see if they're learning anything. So he ignores her in hopes that one of the disciples will speak up and say, Jesus, why are you ignoring this woman? Can't you see she's in deep pain? But they don't. They just say, send her away. Jesus says, okay, maybe I'm gonna have to be a little bit more harsh. So he says, well, I really wasn't sent for her kind in hopes that one of the disciples would speak up and say, what do you mean? You you told us that that, that no one's too far from God that they can't come near. You told us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, you didn't say anything about race or, or some certain people group or someone at the bottom of some spiritual barrel that could never reach the top, but no disciple does. And then... Jesus takes drastic measures. And what, I, what impresses me in Matthew 15 is that Jesus seems to be willing to hurt someone who's already hurting to, to get his message across. This makes this message paramount. It makes it so important that Jesus is willing to risk hurting this woman for the sake of these disciples who are gonna go out and change the world, for their sake of understanding this truth that God's heart is for all people, especially those you think are at the bottom of the spiritual barrel. Now, there is something that happens in the text as well that kind of clears this up because Jesus says, very uh, important part of the, the narrative, Jesus says, I was... Uh, I was not sent except for the house of Israel. Then he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. When Jesus speaks to the woman this way and to the disciples, he uses the diminutive form of dog and bread. So here's basically what he's saying. You don't see in your translation, but he's basically saying this. And I can see Jesus winking at the woman, saying, just hold on, I need to teach these disciples something. Otherwise, I see her bolting long before we got to this point. So I think somehow, even though we can't see it, that Jesus is working with her to teach them a lesson and she's cooperating. Because he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She responds immediately by using the diminutive form. She picks up on Jesus using that smaller form. In other words, Jesus says, it's not right to take breadcrumbs and throw it to the doggies, the little doggies. Now, she picks up on that and she responds by saying this. She says, yes, Lord, but even the little doggies deserve the little crummies that fall from the table. That's how it's actually written in the original language. So she knows Jesus is softening this for her sake 
but at the same time trying to get through to the disciples. Jesus is so impressed of her knowledge and her acceptance of who he is that probably goes far beyond even the disciples at this point. And he says, woman, you have great faith. Your faith is so great that I'm able to do this. And your faith is so great, even though I'm talking to you this way, you know, you trust in my goodness and you know, I'm gonna give you what you're asking for. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's a good place to pause for now. We're hearing about the Canaanite woman and her faith is pretty inspiring. Next time, we'll finish unpacking this test that Jesus gives the disciples and looking at what we can take away from this passage. It's Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Now that's what's happening. Now, what are we to learn? That no one, absolutely no one, is so far from God that they can't be reached. God's heart is for those who we believe is at the bottom of the spiritual barrel. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.